Would you like to connect with some of the most influential people that you can think of? Celebrities, CEOs, mentors that you look up to or influencers in your industry where you would know they would skyrocket your business if you partnered up with them. And today's guest, Steve Sims, is someone that is known for making the impossible happen and he knows how to connect with people. So he's originally a bricklayer from London. He moved to Hong Kong to be a bouncer and networked his way up into exclusive circles that he said he shouldn't even be in. He was surrounded by CEOs and bankers and wealthy people and that led him over a long path into what he's doing now, which is a luxury concierge service called Bluefish, which is basically where high net worth individuals call him up and say, hey, I want this to happen. Can you make it happen? And he makes it happen. And that sometimes outrageous things like getting married in the Vatican by the Pope or performing on stage with your favorite rock band uh, Journey or going into a submarine to visit the Titanic and also connecting with business moguls like Elon Musk. And we talked about this before, relationships are really one of the most underrated assets that almost nobody talks about. And looking back, it's always a relationship that paves someone's path or skyrockets someone's growth and makes things possible. So if you look at the top CEOs, they usually ask who, not how. They ask who do we need instead of how do we make this happen. And some examples are Tony Robbins. He met Guthi Ranker, who put him on the map for these, these infomercials that were spread out over the entire country and that would made him, uh, yeah, extremely famous that, that, that uh, skyrocketed his growth and that's where his career took, took off. Then you look at Richard Branson. He met Sir Freddie Laker who was, uh, yeah, the CEO of a huge airline and when he started his airline, Richard Branson, he got mentored by him. Then there's also examples of uh, e-commerce moguls like Brian Lee. He builds huge e-commerce businesses but he partners up with celebrities like Jessica Alba to build the Honest Company. So she's the face of the business and he's actually the one running the business, which puts him on the map to build uh, a billion dollar business, which, which just takes off because of that partnership. And today we're gonna to discover how do you actually build genuine relationships with mentors, with high level CEOs, with influencers or other people who are currently considered a high status than you. And um, first of all, why you shouldn't be a fan of them if you wanna really connect with them. And we also dive into some really interesting topics about transparency and how to figure out who you truly are so you can actually connect with people on a deep level. So without further ado, let's just jump right into it. The stories that I've heard and the interviews that I've seen, just incredible of, of what you, you've made happen uh, from uh, getting, getting someone married in the Vatican by the Pope to going into the submarine and uh, checking out the Titanic and also performing on stage with your favorite rock band. And I'm just thinking, what's one of the what's one of the hardest things that you had to pull off? Maybe a cool story that you have where you thought, how am I gonna do this? And uh, you actually made it happen. Wow, um, that's a hell of a question to open up with. Uh, that, that's, that's probably one of the toughest ones. Um, but it, let's, let's break it down into different things. What's the hardest thing I've had to do, okay? That's manage people's expectations. There is nothing more difficult in the planet than people. And you've got to learn to manage expectations. The way that I've managed to avoid it is to never give people what they want. And if you never give people what they want, you can never fail. Now, let me explain that a little bit further. Um, and I'll explain it around a story. I had a client, and it's in the book. I think you said you read the book. Um, I had a client that contacted me because he wanted to go to an exclusive restaurant in Florence. Now, 
anybody in the planet could have done that. You could have picked up the Italian version of Open Table. You could look through the reviews of the Fiorenza Times, and you could found the best restaurant. You could have booked him a table at eight o'clock at night. You would have given him exactly what he what he had asked for. Okay, but not what he wanted. What people really want is for you to think. You see, the bottom line of it is, people don't know what they don't know. That's your job. That's why they have you. If you know all the answers, like for argument's sake, if you need toilet roll, you go to your, 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 your supermarket or you go on Amazon and you get toilet roll. Why? Because you needed toilet roll. You don't go into a store and enter into a conversation about toilet roll. When you enter into a conversation about, oh, I want a meal in Florence, they're dumping it on you to impress them. So what I did was I started looking at where could I put a, a meal on that would be so out of this world, so far out of what he wanted that he couldn't possibly kind of like gravitate what I had got. So I did what they call a moonshot. You know, I see, well, okay, he wants here. Let's see if I can start here. And I'll be honest with you, over the years, I failed millions of times okay and i haven't got this i haven't got this i haven't got this i haven't got this and i haven't got this but every time i've got this i've always ended up with that much difference above what they actually asked for okay i hope i hope that makes sense but if a client wants a car get them a vintage rolls royce so they go wow you got me a car but you you took it beyond what i asked for if the client wants some beautiful flowers Get flower petals to be thrown out of a helicopter over their house. You know, just take, see what they've asked for and see how far you can take it. In this situation, when my client went to Florence, I actually asked if I could take over the Academia Museum that houses Michelangelo's David and set up a table of six at the feet of that. Now, whenever you go into a museum, there's always a sign on the door that says no food and drink allowed in here. So the idea of me setting up a table, you know, and a chef to actually cook in the restaurant at the feet of David, all of that was kind of like, it's not going to happen. But you know, it never happens unless you ask it to happen. So I asked, and I'll be honest with you, I expected a no, but I made the ask. I got a yes. And the client ended up on his night of that spectacular meal to actually have it at the feet of David. And I actually managed to get Andrea Bocelli to come in and serenade him while he's eating his pasta. So this was so far above what the client had asked me for. Technically, he wanted a meal in Florence. I gave him that. But I took it beyond what he expected to get. And so that breeds loyalty, it breeds commitment, it triggers emotion. Every time that guy listens to Andrea Bocelli, he thinks about the night he had a meal in Florence. Every time he watches anything on TV, whether it be, you know, a, a movie or a show, and they, they go through Florence, you know, um, he's going to remember how he personally had a meal at the feet of David. So I created a bunch of emotional triggers that was superior to just giving the client basically what he wanted. So you can never fail if you exceed the client's expectations. And the hardest thing to handle in the world are people and to manage expectations. That's beautiful. Um, that's a really beautiful story. And you, you really seem to be a, a master problem solver because so many people would say, uh, how would I set up this 
this dinner or lunch in, in the academia museum. It's not allowed. That's impossible. But uh, mm-hmm. obviously you went for the ask. You, you don't expect things to be impossible. So what's kind of like the p- thought process that you go through where things might seem impossible, but you make them happen somehow because you connect different people. You look at what do they want? What's kind of like the thought process behind that? So I, you're going to have to control me because I want to tell you another story. Um, go for it. And so when, when my stories get bored, just say, you know, shut up, Steve. Um, and uh, this is your show, so you're allowed to do that. But um, you're right. A lot of the times you grow up thinking that's impossible. So let me give you a technique I use that you can use. Okay. So the first thing that ever happens is I never contact anybody. I am never the first contact or the first call. And the reason is, and I'll give you an example. If you're in a bar with your mate, okay, and I walk in the bar and I see you and I don't know you and I walk up to you and I go, hey, it's really good to meet you. My name's Steve Sims. I know the Pope, Elon Musk, Richard Branson. I've sent people down in the Titanic. I put them on stage with our favorite rock band. I'm a big deal. Now, you're smirking. And I can guarantee that that statement's probably irritating you a bit. Now, you imagine you're in a bar with your buddy and you get that. You're going to be less than tolerant to me. Your internals are going to tell you this guy's full of himself or he's full of it or there's no way he can do that. There's going to be all this doubt and I'm going to walk off and you're going to be looking at me going, well, he's an idiot. You know, that guy's a prick. You know, you're going to be doing that. Let's flip the situation. I walk into the same bar. You're still at the bar with your mate, but instead of me coming and talking to you, I completely ignore you because I don't know you. And I go to the other end of the bar and I order myself an old-fashioned. And your best buddy turns around to you and he says, you see that guy down there? He knows the Pope. He knows Richard Branson. He knows Elon Musk. He's put people in the Titanic. He's put people on stage with our favorite rock stars. That guy's a big deal. You are going to be inquisitive. You are going to be in in admiration of me, potentially. You're going to be in awe. You may even find a reason to order a drink at that end of the bar just so you can strike up a conversation with me. Why? It's because the information was transferred to you from a credible source. So whenever I ask for anything, and I'm on about anything, the museum, um, contacting Elton John, going backstage with the rock band journey. Uh, Anything I want to do, I find people that play in that person's sandpit that I know. Sometimes you'll need to do three or four people to get to that person and you get them to make the introduction. So by the time you finally get in front of the person, you're in there, you're in front of them and you're credible. Why are you credible? Because you came from a source of credibility. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. Even the story that you, very, how you outlined it, yeah. It's, yeah, it's very primitive, but I often, uh, I give that story a lot, but I always get somebody else to introduce me. If you've got someone, listen to this and goes, oh, I, I want you know to get a hold of Steve Sims, you're the credible source in which to make the introduction because I don't know this other person. If I see you with someone and I want to talk to them, you're the credible source for me to say to you, hey, can you make an introduction for me? So I do believe rely on the relationships you have to make the introductions you need. 
And then when they make the introductions, go back to the person that make the introduction and go, I owe you a meal. Now, I've, on a Friday night, I phoned someone, and it's a true story, about three weeks ago, I phoned up a guy that had helped me out. And I said, to him, oh, dude, you know, thank you, somebody. I said, oh, and he was huffing. And I said, to him, you know, what's, what's going on? He's like, oh, I'm running late. I was supposed to pick something up. And, you know, I, I appreciate everything worked out for you, Steve. But, you know, I've got to, I've got to get home. You know, I've got, to sort, I've got to take the family out. And I'm like, where are you? I'm stuck in traffic, you know, about an hour away. Wife's going to kill me. We're supposed to be going out for a family meal tonight. And I went, oh, great. I said, you're going out with all the kids or just you and the missus? He's like, I take all the kids out. He said, so they've got some friends. I've got five kids, you know? And I'm like, oh, well, I'll catch up with you soon. I jumped on the phone with me and one of my team, and we found out a really cool, nice pizza joint in that area. We contacted them. We gave them the credit card. We contacted the um, we contacted his home because he was a friend of mine. I told her that he had said that he was going out tonight and he wanted uh, to uh, do something special. So this was the address you had to go to. We phoned him up and we said, "Don't fret. You can be at home because then you're taking everyone there. It's all been sorted." He then got home like the hero because he's now taking the kids out. They had ice creams. They had pizzas. He didn't need to worry about it now. The business that he had introduced me to made me about $10,000, okay? Nice little paycheck. Certainly not one of my biggest, but certainly a nice little paycheck. Five people, two adults, pizza, ice cream, couple of beers, few Coca-Colas to sugar the kids up. How much do you think that cost me? Okay? I think it was 200-something dollars, Okay? The guy was over the moon. The guy phoned me the following day saying, thank you for helping me out. And, and I had just removed a little bit of stress from him. People want money. Yes, they want money. But they want stress out of their life more. In that situation, he was harassed because he was getting home. We were able to eliminate that harassment. If I need him in the future to make an introduction for me, do you think he's going to do it or not? Yeah, definitely. He, he will. The problem is most people fail to reward the person that makes the introduction. That's what keeps my relationship so strong. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's also a really good story of uh, outlining how to actually keep these relationships up and, um, and keep them mutually beneficial. And the, the, the problem that I see or that, that my mind comes up with now uh, is there's a bit of a chicken and the egg problem. Uh, because you're always starting out somewhere, especially if you're in your twenties, uh, you're just starting out in business or you, you're just starting out with building your network. If you would start from scratch, knowing what you know, now you don't have any network and you want to get a mentor, someone that is considered higher status than you, that that's more busy, uh, that has more to do. And, uh, how, how would you reach out to them? How would you try to build a relationship with them? How would you start from scratch? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You don't need it. You see, the problem is everyone now wants to sit there and kind of like cry in their pants and go, oh, I don't have these connections. and I don't have bullshit. I was a dormant of a nightclub and now I'm phoning up the Pope. Okay. The bottom line of it is, is it's never changed. It's never changed. Show you care and bring value into every conversation. Those are the keys. Now you say about, oh, how can I get a mentor? You don't need a mentor. If you've got an eye, if you've got an iPhone or even an Android, 
All your mentors are there. Subscribe to podcasts. When you're making the coffee in the morning, get 30 minutes of, you know, Grant Cardone, Gary V, you know, hell, me, um, whatever, but get different points of views. You see, mentorship is guidance, okay? It's a suggestion. You need to beat your own path. No one that did anything incredible did it by following other people. And everybody out there that you revere now is completely different to anyone that's been around before them, okay? You're the next difference. So don't put them on a pedestal. I think one of my beautiful things is that I was too stupid and ignorant and innocent to be too scared of how powerful and important these people were. I would just walk up to them in a party and shake their hand and go, hey, how you doing? I believe you throw a gala in the Hamptons. I don't know how it's doing for people attending, but I'm telling you, I can treble the amount of people that turn up and probably double the ticket price. Is that of interest to you? And they'd look at me and they'd go, why? Because I'm, I'm straight away outlining. Now, I would never go into a conversation and go, oh, it's a pleasure to meet you. So, yeah, yeah, I love your movie. Yeah, great. I go in there and I answer a problem they have. I have a, uh, a poster in my um, office. We're building a new office. And I have this poster and it says, solve, don't sell. So whenever I meet anyone, before I've met them, I do a little bit of homework. Are they releasing a book? Are they launching a podcast? Are they you know, in a movie? Are they going back on tour? Um, do they have a charity that they support? Whatever it is, then I do a bit of digging. And then you can go to them and go, hey, I hear you've got a book coming out. That's fantastic. What is your infrastructure of actually getting that book out and actually getting it distributed so it becomes a number one bestseller? Because I can help you with that. Is that of interest? You know, I'm straight away giving them something that's better for them. Um, and that's one of the key things to do. Mentorships and a lot of gurus want you to look up to them. They want you to revere them, but they don't want you to challenge them with deep questions because then that's going to kind of put them potentially on their back foot. Um, you're best actually just signing up for loads of podcasts, loads of podcasts. And when the person you're listening to aggravates you or it doesn't resonate with you, delete them. You know, you don't have to be spending $50,000. And I know a lot of people that, that spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to be part of their mastermind groups. Well, if you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, in my eyes, you've got to be making a million and a half bucks out of that per year for you to be spending 20% of your earnings on further growth. Um, so at the moment in time, you don't need it. Don't revere it. Don't glass. Uh, don't romanticize it. Don't glamorize it. Just subscribe to podcasts, audio books, read books, and just keep your ears open until it's not worth listening to that person and just delete them. Yeah, that, that, uh, that concept of not putting them onto a pedestal really resonated with me because uh, I recently heard a quote from uh, Michael Jordan. I don't know if he was the one who said it, but it's basically um, a, yeah, a principle that he has is that you're either a friend or a fan, but as soon as you show that you're a fan, we'll never be friends. So just, I've seen so many people. Yeah. I'll see so many people walking up to, uh, yeah, speakers on, on conferences and they're like fanboying about them and they're like, Oh, and, and you just see that instant disconnect. It's cool that they're the fan, but you'll just never get a connection. So, and, and it's great that that went really well for you because 
like you said, you didn't know any better. You just walked up to them and no, yeah, I was so innocent, so uh, so ignorant to it um, that I never knew. It's like it's like a little child. Um, I'm sure somewhere on your body are scars and scrapes or burns from when you were a little kid and you dis- didn't listen to your parents. You know, because your parents go, you know, don't touch that pot; it's hot. When you're a four-year-old, you don't know what hot is. You learn what hot is by touching something that's hot and then crying because it's bloody hurt you, okay? We don't know what falling off a bike feels like until we, guess what, fall off a bike. So it's all of those experiences that actually make us who we are. And you should revere them. But you shouldn't be too intimidated in, by, by learning about them. And if you do, if you go along to see someone and you start kind of, uh, as you say, fanning out, over them, you you actually, without realizing it, but definitely psychologically, you're putting them on a pedestal. Was you actually raising them away from you? And and Jordan's Jordan's totally accurate. The second you walk in as a fan, you can't be a friend. I remember when I started working for Elton John. Elton John is one of, let's be blunt, one of the last superstars of the world. You know, we have we have people come along now. They make it. They make brilliant music. Um, they make loads of sales, and then they retire. You know, you've got people like Elvis, uh, Madonna, uh, Sting, Elton, Michael Jackson. These are greats to be there for 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 longer than like five minutes. You know. And they've been through all of it. The Beatles, uh, Paul McCartney. These are the superstars of an era before iTunes. Okay? So when I met Elton John, and again, let's be blunt, he's British. So as a British boy from London, Elton John is, is our Elvis. So when I got the chance to start working for him, there were people that were running up asking for pictures. And there were people that were literally snapping pictures with him in the background at conferences. And he could see it. Now, of course, he's always getting photographs. And he's, he's quite a proud man. Um, but he's not, he's not too quiet about voicing his opinion. I knew full well that the second I got a photograph, I would change the di- uh, demographic uh, of the relationship. It was, um, I'd been working with him for eight years. It was two years ago, that a year, year ago, eight months, that I got a photograph with him. A year ago, eight months. And someone said, you need to come over early. And I'm like, why is that? And they went, we need to get a picture of you with Sir Elton John. And I'm like, you're damn right you do. But I'd been invited. So I was able to come along knowing that I had been part of the growth of that. And I was there as not so much as an equal, but as an asset. You may not be an equal, but you you definitely need to be an asset. And I got my photograph. I still use that photograph. I still share it. I still love it. Uh, and obviously I have it. But um, yeah, you, you, you're right. If you're a fan, then you've got a longer journey to become a friend, if ever. One more thing that I'm thinking about right now is um, in order to add value to people, there's something that you need to be good at, some skill, something that you can solve for them. Um, and... What would you do if you currently don't have any, any real skills and, and no real credibility for anyone to point at you and say, hey, this guy's a real deal or he's actually really good at that? How would you go about that? Google's your friend. 
Um, so if I want to find out about you and I type your name into Google, it's going to show me all the interviews you've done. It's going to show me your website. It's going to show me everything you want me to see. Okay. If I go to your social feeds and if I go to Google and I go to images, it'll show me more of your lifestyle and what you like to do. Okay. If I see a bunch of photographs and you're with a terrier, you know, then I know you like dogs. If I'm looking at your social feed and I see that you're on a surfboard three times out of the week, I know you like surfboards. Do your research. And when, when you finally meet that person, you can turn around and say, hey, a friend of mine told me you like surfing. Um, I actually go surfing at this special wake just around the corner. Would that be of interest for you to know about? Just a little thing like that, you're hitting on that, that passion. Whenever I've gone to someone I've used Google Images a lot, and I've, I've also used it, and I've gone to people, and I've gone, hey, I saw an article on you where you talked about X, Y, Z. So you find out whatever it is that they really like. That took for bloody hours. Obviously, you work with a lot of people. You're in the people's business. You have a lot of people to deal I with. Am. And you said, before, you said before, people is one of the hardest things to deal with. So what's, um, what's one of the, the biggest lessons that you've learned about people skills, about people in general? Ooh. Um, people never tell you really what they want. Uh, they will always dilute it. You know, if, you, if you're out at night with your buddies and you're in a, a very relaxed environment and people are just talking about different things, they will say about, oh, you know, I'd love to do this or that would be fantastic. But if you introduce them to me the following day, they will more than likely dilute what they say they want to do to something that sounds maybe a bit cooler or a bit more achievable. Um, they reduce what they actually want. Pe people do that. And the reason they do that is because we're scared of actually exposing what we truly want. We're nervous about actually showing you why it's important. I had a client that um, he wanted to meet the rock band journey, meet the rock band journey. And I said to him, oh, that sounds cool, you know. You just want to go and meet him and shake their hand. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's what I want to do. Ah, why do you want to do that? Now, I always ask why three times. And he's like, well, you know, and, you know I've, been, I've known the music for many years. The amount of times I kept asking him why, 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 why was irritating. But it got down to the core that when he was at college, he used to sing for a Journey cover band. And so Journey were there right at the beginning of his education. Now, throughout his life, illness, sickness, rich, broke, divorce, relationships, throughout all of those peaks and troughs of a normal life, he actually had Journey as the theme tune that would go through. So quite simply, we got to the fact that Journey had been the theme tune to the movie of his life. So I said to him, hang on a minute, should the finale of this movie be you walking backstage after they've just come off stage after two hours, shake their hand and they'll forget your name by the time they got to the changing room. Well, should we do something a lot more dynamic? So we arranged for him actually to go on stage and sing four tunes live as the shortest term lead singer of the rock band journey. He was on stage with the entire band, all of the electrics, the smoke machine, the auditorium, the stadium in front of him. He was 
the lead singer a journey for those four tunes. So that was the finale. So we take what someone says, and I said this at the beginning, and it's not what they ask, it's what they want and desire. Now, if you focus on what they want and desire, then you will never lose a client because you're giving them more than what they know. And I said to you at the beginning, they don't know what they don't know. That's your job. All right. Um, next question that I really wanted to ask yourself uh, after reading your book, which was uh, the chapter of uh, figuring yourself out, which is, I think is one of the most important things um, to actually connect with people in order to be a friend of someone that you might look up to, or hopefully not because you, you don't want to be a fan, right? Um, yeah. You actually need you to be still, someone. You can still look up to someone and respect and even be in awe of someone but just don't allow that to dilute who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you, and you talk about that in, in one chapter where you say, you got to really know what you actually stand for, what you actually like, what do you like? What don't you like? And you went through a process of that as well. And I think it's, it's crucial to actually connect with people and be a likable person. So they actually want to talk to you. Um, because mm. if you're, if you're not authentic, I know I've heard you don't like that word authentic. So <laughs> if you're not your true self, um, it can be really hard to connect with people and build a mutually beneficial relationship. So what, what's something that you did uh, in order to, to figure yourself out and to know who you really, what you really want to stand for? Because I guess that's something that's, that's really important for, for guys in their twenties, because let's be honest, we are no, figuring no. ourselves out. So you also went through a process yeah. like that. So what did that look like for you? I went, I went through the same process as you and I learned how to cope with it because I do what everybody does. I fail. You know, you're, you're 20 years old. I guarantee you, you're going to fail and screw up a lot. Um, you just need to look at that as education. Um, experience comes three seconds after you needed it most. And I remember, especially in your 20s, you want to be successful. So you go, well, okay, I want to be successful. And you look at people and you go, that person's successful. The only reason they're successful is because they're driving a Ferrari. Um, you, you see these things. And you go, well, that person's who I want to be. And without realizing it, you start dressing a little bit like them. You start sounding a little bit like them. You start impersonating these people. Now, here's something that is scary. Quite often, the person that you're impersonating is a fake in any case. They're trying to find themselves. They're trying to discover who they really are. So a fake on a fake is just waiting to fall down as a house of cards. Now, I was, um, I became the, the fixer, the arranger, whatever you want to call it. I was the man that can. And I was working with some very rich people on one day, just one day. And I ride motorcycles. Um, and I used, I used to ride motorcycles and I never had a car. And I suddenly woke up one day and I went, hang on a minute. I worked with some very powerful people I always turn up with all my earrings in, my piercings, my tattoos, on a motorbike. Oh, my God. How the hell am I in business? I better change. So I took my earrings out, took my piercings out, started wearing suits, shirts, and ties, and I bought a Ferrari. And I started turning up at these meetings like that. Now, the funny thing was, I became so stiff because I'm now wearing a uniform. I'm now wearing this, uh, this impression. And here's the dumb thing. I bought the Ferrari for you. 
I bought it to impress you. I love two wheels. I'm 53 years old at the moment. I have no car and I have uh, seven motorcycles, right? And I've still got my earrings in my tattoos. And if you don't want to work with me, I wish you the best. Move along. But this was when I was younger that I tried being someone. And do you know what I got? I got all of those other people that were looking at me going, oh, he's successful. I want to be like that. I was attracting those flaky people. I couldn't understand why I wasn't having a wholesome conversation. I wasn't, you know, when you sit down with your mate and you go, how's your day going on? And they tell you, they don't sit there and they go, oh, that's fine. You know, they actually go, I'm having trouble with the missus. Oh, I'm having trouble with the job. I can't get a bloody job at the moment. Oh, I got debt up to my eyeballs. How the bloody hell am I getting? That's a conversation. The flaky relationships that I was in now, everyone was just full of BS. Oh, yeah, I'm off to Monaco next year. No, they're not. But they say they are because at the time, there's no way of me validating whether they are or not. So it suddenly realized after about six months that I'd captured a following and a circle of incredibly flaky people. And in talking with them, it was an effort for me because I'd have to put a suit and a tie on and take my earrings out and ride around in a car that I didn't want to, want to do. It actually drove me to depression. And I got very drunk, um, badly drunk, and I just didn't know where my life was going. I was so empty. I had no friends. I had no relationships. I don't know the last time I'd had a conversation. So I was so gutted that I had lost all of this and I woke up in the morning and I saw a letter or something from someone. And I remember just in the, in the being hung over and being ill, I looked at this person and I thought, I don't know who he is. Now he was a client, but I don't know who he is. I don't like the way he talks to his wife. I don't like the way he pretends to be. I don't like that person, but he's in my world. And I realized that I was now taking on checkbooks rather than people. And so that was the day that I just hung up all my suits. I drove the Ferrari to the dealership and said, sell this. And I went back and I bought a motorbike. And since then, that's, that's what I've always been. And do you know, the funny thing is, and this is a true story. I'm in Switzerland. And for about six months, I've been trying to be somebody else with all these suits. But every month, every Thursday, the first Thursday of every month, there was this like business event that everyone would go to. And every month I would go to it. First Thursday, nine times out of 10, for the years prior, I'd turn up on a motorbike, stick the helmet on the edge of the bar, and I'm there in a leather jacket or a black T-shirt, depending on if it was chilly or not. And for the last six months, I'd been turning up in a suit. Now, we all go to these events, whether it be a bar, whether it be a club, whether it be a business meeting, and there's people in those events that you're not really close to, but you know the guy's called Billy. So you politely go, hey, hey, Billy, how are you? Oh, good thing. And you move on. There's those people that you recognize that you may wave to like your neighbor, but you still don't bloody know their name. Okay. There was this guy that I'd always wave to and we'd always done the courteous, like, hey, Steve, hey, I forget what his name is now, you know, Billy. And he walked past me. And as he walked past me, now, bear in mind, I had gone back to this event, first time in six months in a black T-shirt and jeans. He walked past me and he stopped. And he said, hey, Steve, how you doing? I went, oh, hey, Billy, how are you? And he went, I haven't seen you here for months. 
Now, here's the scary thing about that. There'd never been a month that I had not been there. But the fact is, I never actually turned up for the last six months as me. I was trying to be someone else. So in that, that daft saying that he was saying, he was accurate. I hadn't shown up. This avatar of who I wanted to be had, and that guy was a flaky clown that thought he would impress you by wearing a sharp suit and buying a car for you to stare at. So I suddenly realized that this was going to be me. I was going to show up. I was going to be present. I was going to be clear. I was going to be impossible to misunderstand. And if you resonated with it, if you like what I have to say, if you like me, if you want to stand up and have a whiskey or you want to sit in the park and talk politics, whatever you want, if we can do it naturally and easy, great. But if you want me to be someone else, just to be able to get into your circle or your checkbook, it's not something I'm willing to stress over. And so I realized that and I made a conscious change. That was actually in my early 30s when I did that. And I hope there's someone out there. I pray to God, there's one of you boys out there that go, hang on, why should I stress on pretending to be someone that I'm not? You know, it's like all these, I know a bunch of people now because I'm in the, I I bloody hate this term, but I, I have a lot of followers on Instagram and stuff like that, okay? So I get these people trying to friend me and they're leaning up against a car that they don't own or they're taking selfies on a jet that hasn't even taken off the tarmac. They're trying to impress me with photographs that I couldn't give a shit about. I want to know, are you a cool person? Do you kick your dog when you get home? Are you polite to old people in the street? Do you open up the door when a lady walks through the door? If that's the kind of person uh, that, you, that you are on the good side of stuff, then great, you know? But if you are kicking your dog and you are rude to people and you don't open the door for, for ladies or women or whatever, then I don't want you in my life. So I'm hoping someone out there is going to go, I'm doing that. And I'm telling you, you couldn't make me happier. If you send me a check now for $500,000, I'd say thank you. But if you can change your life and just go, bullshit, I'm going to keep me to me. And if it works for you, great. If it doesn't move on and I'll get another client, if you can adopt that attitude, that's going to make me far happier. I think that is so important nowadays in this this social media world, especially with it, you see, you see the best sides of people. And yeah, especially for the, for the younger generations, they look at that and they think, wow, they live in this cool lifestyle. They have this car, they have all that. And yeah, even I've even realized it with myself, uh, the stuff that you see on Instagram, uh, the first time I was traveling in Australia, you would see these beautiful places that I was at and everyone, everyone thought I had this beautiful adventure, but it was pretty miserable at that time. And nobody knew that. And, um, it's, it's a real challenge. And I think more people need to listen to that message of stop trying to pretending, stop trying to pretend that you're someone else or put other people on a pedestal and just understand that everyone's struggling and everyone, nobody knows what they're actually doing. Uh, everyone's a bit afraid. Everyone wants connection and love. And, um, yeah, it's a beautiful transition that you made there. Um, what are some of the principles that you, no, you got to stop now? there? You got to stop there, pal. That, that was beautiful in itself. And for you at your age, to be actually recognizing that, I commend you. And anyone that's following this podcast, ignore everything I've just said, if you wish, but don't, don't ignore what this cat just said. Everyone out there wants to be loved. Everyone out there wants to have connections. Everyone wants to have a friend that's got their back. And everyone needs that because at the end of the day, believe it or not, big surprise, we're animals. We like to hang around in packs 
of people that associate the same way that we do, that we like, that we resonate to. There should be no effort in any of that stuff. So congratulations for recognizing that at the age you are. And I hope some of the people that are listening to this can actually benefit from that and go, I'm going to adopt that. So well done for you. Thank you very much. Thank you for acknowledging that. And I would love to know what, what are some of the principles that you live by nowadays when it comes to relationships? For example, you talk about the chug test, which is something that we do as well uh, in, mm-hmm. our, in our community. We look at, okay, not just do you have a successful business, but also are you just a cool guy that I would like to spend the weekend with? Because we're going to have retreats, we're going to have events. Are you someone that I would like to have there and just have, can have fun with? So what are some of the other principles that you live by um, when it comes to relationships? So I have a friction test. Now, you've obviously mentioned the chug test, and that's, there's a video, and, you know, if you sign up, you'll get the free video, whatever. Um, I'm not here to pitch any of that. Um, but ride motorcycles, I mentioned that earlier. The word friction is, is cancer in a motorcycle because anything that creates friction is either going to slow you down or stop you. You know, it breaks are the only thing on a bike that you want that has friction. And brakes are only there to get you into a corner so you can go fast out the other side. So being a motorcyclist, I've always used that metaphor in my life. If I'm talking to someone and I'm having too much effort trying to get what they're saying, or I'm having a laugh or some jokes that really aren't that funny, then I realized that this isn't a person that I want in my life. See, I want to have a conversation. I want to be able to have a connection with someone. And you've never gone into a bar and settled. You know, you go into, I keep using a bar as an example, but a social environment. You've never gone into a social environment and spoken to someone and then gone, (laughs) you just go, oh, yeah, that's great. And then you move on. You've got to be that rude. I want, I want people now, and this is, this is going to rattle some chains. I want people to be selfish. Okay? Now, here's the dumb thing. When you get on a plane, and you were talking about your traveling and stuff. We were talking about the travel earlier. <laughs> when you get on a plane, um, you, you get on there, and within the first few minutes, the steward or the stewardess actually comes along, and they say, in the case of an emergency... Put the air mask on yourself first before you put it on someone else, don't they? When was the last time you heard that air stewardess turn around and say, hey, put it on someone else before you? They've never said it, have they? Why? Because you can only look after other people once you have selfishly looked after you. If you are not in a strong position, how can you look after someone else? If you're ill, feeble, and this could be in the mind, it could be financially, it could be business, How can you offer someone else advice? So as a young person, and as any person, be selfish with you. Start looking, okay, what's in my best interest? Well, my best interests are to communicate with people that there's no stress, that educate me, that challenge me, that help me grow. Those are selfish things. And then what you can do is you can turn around to other people and go, hey, I heard this. I can help you. And then you're, par- you're, you're then passing on that knowledge. You end up becoming a mentor for somebody else. It could be a statement. It could be, be the way you live. So I'm a great believer in be selfish. If there's any friction in any form of relationship or communication, get it out. Let it go. Okay? Having a connection should take zero effort. Now, 
Keeping a relationship, that takes effort, you know? Make sure you contact them. Make sure you stay in contact with them. Communicate by sending them little things, you know? Stay, stay within the field of a relationship. That takes some work. That takes some effort. But being together with someone, you should take no effort if it does. That's not really a relationship. I think there might be so many people who don't even know what it can feel like to have no effort with hanging out with someone. Cause some of them, mm. I know some people who just, they, they put on such a front and it's, it's become their default. They don't even know anymore what it's like to connect with someone. And, uh, I've had conversations, right. yeah, I've had conversations with people where I, I drill deep and they say things where I'm like, I would have never thought that about you because they became vulnerable. They actually shared something cause I shared something and it's like, how do you live? How do you, even connect with people and that's uh, that's where low self-esteem comes from or loneliness is because you believe you can't be truly yourself you can't portray yourself because you're not good enough and that assumes you're not good enough so you have to be someone else that's how you end up lonely um damn you're good and that's where we can pick up on that word that you actually said i hated earlier authenticity when someone walks up to someone and goes god you gotta listen to this guy he's so authentic you're acknowledging that the rest of the planet is not so I don't like the fact that you're willing to settle on that. Why should, it's like me walking up to you and going, hey, you should listen to this guy. He's got two eyes and two ears. You know, it should be an obvious thing. You know, everyone should be authentic. My favorite goal for a person is transparency. You know, when I, I sat down with my friend uh, a couple of days ago, Neil, and we sat down and we had lunch and I said to him, and I used this example earlier, I said, um, how's your life going? And he went, not too good. It could be better. I said, well, okay, let's break it down. We ended up having an hour's conversation before we ordered appetizers, you know, because we just went into it. And he was like, do you get that feeling? I'm like, Neil, I get the exact same feeling. Do you know what I do when I get that feeling? It may work for you. It may not. But this is what I do. We were open. And you, you say the word vulnerable. It's a shame that we're, we're looking at that. And vulnerability, people look at as a weakness. I don't like the word vulnerable, but I want to be transparent. If I've got some shit going on in my life, I'm going to tell you about it. I had, I had some deals that went wrong for me, God, about four months ago. And I went from, I don't know, about one point something in my, in my bank account to 650 grand in debt, okay, in the space of six weeks. And I remember driving down the road and I saw this guy on the other on, on the side of the road with his little sign up saying, you know, please give me money. And I thought to myself, that guy's richer than me. And it upset me that I actually said that because no, he wasn't. Financially, I was way under than him, but I had the assets of my clients, my head, my focus, my creativity. And I was able to, I literally drove back home and I went, as long as I can wake up in the morning, I can handle this. And I did. And we got out of it. We worked all around. We got everyone sorted. Everything was cleaned up. And we did it because we had the focus. We had the strength of character. We had the credibility. We were transparent enough to reach out to people and go, hey, I know that I've got to do this deal with you and it's $100,000, but the shit's just been handed to me and I'm upside down. I still want to work with you. 
but you're only going to get 30 grand out of it at the moment. I'm going to have to owe you, only owe you 70. Are you okay for us to continue? If not, I will not take it as anything. One person turned around to me and said, sorry, Steve, I, I, I need all the money up front. And I went, I respect that. Then you're free to go and do it with someone else. Okay. And I went off and I spoke to you and everyone else was okay to start taking a piece and a piece and a piece. He contacted me back in five days and he said, you know, no one's ever contacted me before and said they're in trouble before entering a deal. They've entered a deal and then they've tried to kind of like waggle around it. He said, you came at me with so much directness that my knee jerk reaction was to put a shield up and go, oh, I can't be anywhere near this. When I should have seen it as transparency and honesty. He said, I would be thrilled to offer you that deal if it's still on the table. And we ended up doing the deal. So I believe transparency is really critical. And the issue is because we're now growing into an environment where transparency is a commodity, which is something that we're not actually seeing because everyone's Instagram page is showing all of this beautiful shit that they don't own. I was in, um, I was in Bangkok. I don't know if you follow me on Instagram. I was in Bangkok the other week and my wife had always wanted to see the elephants up in Chiang Mai. So I took it up there and I was patting this elephant and my wife took a picture and it was a funny little picture. And um, it looked like the elephant was smiling and stuff. It was just a silly little picture. So I posted it on Instagram and I put on there, I don't own this elephant like you don't own that jet. And I had a whole bunch of people going, oh, you shouldn't be saying that. You I didn't own the bloody elephant. And no, I don't own a jet, but nor do you. I would love to see people being, being more upfront being more transparent with each other, uh, being more selfish, and then once they're in a position of strength, having the obligation to help others. That's beautiful. I believe that this is actually somehow getting better. I believe there's people, people's bullshit meters, they, they, they just kept rising the past I few years. Right. And now uh, if you're actually someone that can be authentic and be, be themselves uh, and uh, transparent, like you say, uh, they value that way more than looking at the next guy who's got the Lambo in the house and they just know, mm -hmm. okay, you're one of those guys. So yeah. that's, I, I have hope. I have hope. Yeah, I think you're right. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, I've got friends and clients that, that, you know, have got like hundreds of cars in their collections um, and they love cars and good luck to them. It's the pilchard that walks down the car park in Beverly Hills and then stands in front of a Porsche and takes a picture and then runs off. That's the one I don't like. Now, if you want to take a picture of it because you love Porsche, go ahead. But there's no reason to pretend as though there's something more to the picture than there actually is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, finishing off, what advice would you give to a guy in their early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, that want to have an abundant, beautiful life. All right. Um, first of all, and I don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but you're going to get shit on. You're going to get ripped off. People are going to talk crap to you. People are going to screw you over. You'll probably be sued. You'll probably lose everything a few times during your life. That's what being an entrepreneur is. Okay. If you can stick with it, the light at the end of the tunnel is beautiful and you get to be in control of your own destiny. And that's what all entrepreneurs like. You know, I woke up this morning and I took my family to Malibu for lunch and I was answering a couple of uh, emails and then I go around the corner and just make a phone call. I'm on the beach in Malibu making a business phone call. Don't tell me that's not a beautiful life. And my family are enjoying a meal. I don't care how much the meal is because I know my credit card's not gonna go bibbing 
you know if that's what my life is is good and I, I i love about it so when you're younger you gotta first of all ask yourself what is a happy life you know what is a successful life is it wearing five thousand dollar suits is it going to work at nine o'clock in the morning and coming home at 10 o'clock at night is it being stressed is it working for someone that treats you like crap and doesn't respect you is that what a happy life is is it being able to wake up and here's the funny thing about entrepreneurs people come to us at two o'clock in the morning we'll wake up and we'll make a note on it so entrepreneurs we're constantly working um and that's the life of an entrepreneur but you can only really relate it when you can take those moments out to go, this is why. And if you don't know what that why is, there's the problem. If you want you and your girlfriend, you and your partner to be going to the wine country, whatever, country, whatever area in the world you are, then plan for that. If you want a nice car, plan for that. If you want a house, what does that house look like? Envisage it. I have this phone. It's turned off. And on here... There's a notes area. Now, this is an iPhone, but I think it's something equivalent on an Android. On the notes, I have a um, folder on there called I Want, I Need. Okay, so it's very demanding. And if I see someone wearing a nice watch, I'll be like, damn, I like that watch. What is it? Oh, is it? I like that. I'll put it down in my phone. I want that. I'll put it down in there. Okay? A couple of days later, I'll look at it and I go, I don't need a $50,000 watch. You know, I'm not even wearing a watch, you know? Nah, and I'll get rid of it. But you put these things in there so the urgency of desire sets itself aside to what makes sense. Now, the, the thing about entrepreneurs is we can get well, um, well off track with shiny object syndrome. You know, Apple make, Apple make most of their sales because the new thing looks prettier than the old thing. And you go, oh, I really want that. It's the exact same apps. It's the exact same platform, but we all want it, you know? So by doing that, I control my urge to work on desire over sensibility. And I focus on what's good for me. For me, it's knowing that my kids can go to a private school and I haven't got to worry about school fees. It's the fact that my parents can fly over here and I can take them out to dinner anytime I like and not have to worry about it. I'm not living uh, in a $20 million house, okay? I've already told you, I don't have a car and I don't have any suits. Anytime you see me, I've got a lot of black T-shirts um, because that's what my life is. It's easy, it's comfortable, I can afford the beer I want, not the, not the beer I can afford. So start focusing and write it down. You know, write it down. What is your life looking? I'd like to go to the gym at seven o'clock in the morning. Then I'd like my PA at nine o'clock to tell me what thing. Design your life and then work towards that goalpost. You'll find that the goalpost will change and you will manipulate and edit and tweak your perfect day. But until you have that in place, you're shooting blind. And that's where the problems happen. If you don't know where the goalpost is, how can you score a goal? I love that as well because I think also so many people they they don't even know what they want or they're working towards something where they they other people told them that's what you should want and even now entrepreneurship is such a glorified thing everyone should be an entrepreneur and um, I I had the I had the experience of of making a lot of money in my previous business and uh, I wasn't happy I wasn't I didn't want what I had and everybody told me before that that's 
what you should want and you should be happy. And I ended up selling it. And now I went into a phase of, okay, this is scary. What do I actually want? Because that's probably the most important thing to discover uh, because if you don't know what you want, wherever you go is the wrong place and you can work as hard as you want and you want to achieve it. So probably one of the most important things and not, not getting into uh, comparison mode again or looking at Instagram and, and thinking that that's what I want, that's what I should want. So really making up your own mind, thinking independently and yeah, figuring yourself out. So yeah. Yeah, very well said, very well said. Yeah, I want to thank you very much for this episode. Uh, I, I've learned a lot. I think the listeners have learned a lot. And uh, yeah, I just want to acknowledge you for being the person that you are and being being a vehicle for that transparency and, and, and realness in this plastic Good. world nowadays. Good, then, then, then I'm happy. Thank you, buddy. Beautiful, thank you. All right, thanks so much for listening. I hope you got something out of it. And I definitely learned a lot in this episode. And Steve is one of these people who really practices what he preaches. I, you know, when I jumped on the call with him, I immediately felt comfortable because he was just, yeah, he was just being himself. He was just being transparent. Hey, I'm having a bit of a beer. What are you doing? This and that. And really easy going. So he's someone, he's one of those people where you just immediately feel comfortable around. And uh, as he as he said, there was no there's no friction. So uh, he talked about this concept of friction, and is it that actually someone that I can just easily talk to? And uh, he's definitely one of these people. So uh, he practices what he preaches, and I love how he dove into the topics of transparency, especially in today's social media plastic world, and the importance of that, and how uh, we see uh, a shift where people's bullshit meters are just going up and up and up. And if you can be that person who's actually authentic and being themselves and being transparent, as as he would say. Um, yeah, you're up for a good life and you're up for really good relationships. And yeah, that's how you really connect with these people. And um, yeah, I hope you got something out of it. If you did, let me know. Uh, reach out to me, comment um, and uh, send me a message. Also, love to get a review on iTunes if you have the time. And uh, if you want to find out more about Steve, go to stevedsims.com or check him out on Instagram or Facebook. He's in all these good platforms. He also has a podcast where he interviews really interesting people. So check that out as well. Um, what else? YouTube. I think as well. And uh, yeah, he's just a really cool dude. Check out his book, uh, Blue Fishing, uh, a book that I read uh, prior to this episode, which which got me really interested in getting him onto the podcast. So I really checked that out. Uh, I loved it. Uh, I took a lot of notes and there's a lot of things that I'm going to put into practice based on that book. So I hope you enjoyed it and uh, I'll see you in the next episode.